This episode of BagWorld.com is brought to you by Headscape.co.uk, Rightcart, and Podvine. Um, and some witty thing that we're going to put on the end later, because I can't think of anything. <laughs> Welcome to BirdWorld.com. Podcast for those involved in designing, developing and running websites. Designing, developing and running websites. This is what everybody waits for. This is what everybody waits for. Hello and welcome to the 51st episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul Boag and joining me today is Marcus. I'm as sick as a dog and my nose is filling up with snot, Lillington. Hello, That's Marcus. me. Hello. Be nice to me. Please be nice to me. What, just for one show? Yeah. I really mm. don't feel like it, if I'm honest, but I'll, you know, I'll try and join in. Oh, well, how much fun are you? What, 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 about, what about the show must go on? And uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm here. And I am professionalism here. and all that kind of stuff. I'm just after sympathy. I tell you, yesterday, yesterday, you should have seen Marcus. We went for, went for a meeting up in um, London with a client. It and was a pitch. It was a pitch, yeah. So we were trying to win some work. <laughs> and he sat there and he was the most disgusting, pitiful sight I have ever seen. Coughing, uh, yeah. sniveling. And at one point you completely dried up, didn't you? You, just, yeah. you couldn't I don't string know who a sentence I am. together. What's, you know, what, I don't know now who I am what, or what I'm trying to say. So <laughs> there we go. Not good news, but... Um, yeah, I was actually I was um, auditioning for a part in the next Living Dead film. Yeah. Well, I think I, I would have got it, don't you think? I think you would have. You, you, you sound a little better today. Yeah, well, that's because I'm in my nice cosy office. Uh, Not you know, done up in a suit and all that kind of thing. You've managed to get dressed then? Just, yes, literally. <laughs> the benefits of home working, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, absolutely brilliant. We both um, we both Skyped each other earlier, just before the show, and said, are you ready to do this yet? And both of us hadn't got dressed yet. <laughs> but, but we're dressed now. I couldn't do I couldn't do the podcast without being dressed. There's something deeply wrong with that. It didn't so. feel right. No, it didn't. So anyway, hello and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm sure you're very pleased with the mental image that we've just conjured up for you. Um, in this week's show, we have a standalone version of IE7, being able to run IE7 and IE6 on the same machine at the same time, without virtual sessions, dual booting or anything else. Oh, could it get any more exciting? Um, we're gonna probably, look, yes. Yes, probably, <laughs> but I, I get excited easily. Um, we're also going to look at search engine optimization and whether it is ethical or not. Um, so, interesting debate whether you should um, be even considering search engine optimization. But we're then suspiciously going to go on and look at how to improve your rank on Google. How hypocritical are we? So, um, <laughs> so that should be quite an interesting show. And then finally, I have yet another CSS book that I want to share with you. Um, because they are coming thick and fast at the moment. And this one was sent to me for free. My first freebie. That's because you're famous, Paul. Well, no, I don't think it is. I just I think it is. Do you reckon? People uh, ask me in the street, you're the guy that knows Paul Boag, aren't well, you? Well, you know, what can I say? <laughs> anyway, let's start off with some news. Bugworld.com. Bugworld.com. 
So let's take a quick look at what's happening in the world of web design at the moment. We have, as normal, four stories to share with you. Have you noticed how it's always four? It's actually going to be more this week, but there you go. Why? Are you going to add one? Yeah. Oh, go on, then you go first. That's exciting. I can't wait. I know, but mine's the amusing anecdotes at the end. Oh, okay. All right, then. (laughs) So basically you're saying that my news stories are boring. Yep. So I'm trying to spice it up a bit. You've got something to spice it up at the end. Well, my first news story I think is very exciting. Go on, then. Because I get lots of emails saying, oh, I wish I was in the UK. I would have loved to have gone to App Media. It looked like a really good conference. Well, now is your chance. Because App Media 2007 will be spanning multiple continents... Um, it's, That's clever. I know. <laughs> it's going to be a huge conference hall. Yeah, now there are going to be three separate versions of um, App Media 2007. One that happens in San Francisco, one that's happening in Hong Kong, and one that's happening in London. So wherever you are in the globe, as long as you're in America, Asia, or Europe, um, you can attend an App Media conference, which is very good. If, of course, you're in Africa or Australia, you're stuffed. But there you go. Such is life. So um, check that out. If you want to find out more about that, you can do so at uh, vivabit.com forward slash at media 2007. Um, The second um, story that I wanted to share with you is uh, a new automated testing suite that has appeared on the market. Now, by automated, te- I'm talking about website testing here, and I'm not talking about just checking it in various browsers. I'm talking about heavy-duty, proper, you know, high-end testing, right? So if you're if you're a small-scale web designer that's working on small projects, this probably isn't for you. But if you're working on a large website that you want to test all of the forms in the website, you want to load test it, do all of that kind of high-end stuff, you want to test all of the links, make sure everything's working properly, then this service um, is definitely for you. Um, I can't begin to pronounce how you say this, but um, basically you can find it at www.soasta.com. I reckon that's Soasta. Yeah... I don't think it is. I think they don't pronounce the middle A. I think it's Sosta. Oh, right, okay. Well, yeah, you could, like, Toaster, Sosta. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, however it is said, check that out. What What's so impressive about We keep it? the pronunciation debate going, you see. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Well, it's just, we, 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 we can't pronounce anything, basically. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Um, so what I liked about this is that there have been tools around for a long time that enable you to do this kind of automated script testing where something spiders the site and triggers all the events and all of that kind of stuff. But it's always been in this horrible kind of coding language that's been quite heavy duty. And if you're not that way inclined, it was a bit of a nightmare to be able to do. So what's good about this is it's really a kind of drag and drop interface to be able to create this kind of functionality, which is awesome to be honest um so definitely take the time to check that out it looked very impressive i watched their short demo um and it's worth having a look at that the next news story i have um is uh the latest set of list apart articles have just come out and i always seem to find at least one of them to comment on because they are so impressive and good and i particularly liked one that came out this time round called the 12 lessons for those afraid of css and standards and this article is so good that I've actually written to a list apart and asked permission to actually podcast on these 12 lessons because if you're getting into the um, uh, web standards, 
there's a lot of books out there that kind of teach you the practicalities of it. You know, talk about um, you know selectors and and um, semantic markup and all of this kind of stuff. But there's not as much that talks about the things that you're going to encounter, the lessons that you kind of learn going through the process. And so this article really is absolutely superb for that, and I highly recommend you check it out. You can do so by going to boagworld.com forward slash podcast and selecting episode 51, and I'll make sure I link to it. The URL's a bit long to read out. But as I say, hopefully we will actually do a whole podcast on this in future because it's brilliant. The final... A very exciting piece of news, <laughs> well at least exciting to me, is the fact that somebody, some genius out there, seems to have succeeded in getting IE7 to work as a standalone browser. Now, you might go, well this actually isn't that original and we have seen that with um, with previous browsers, but certainly when I last tried the standalone browsers that were out there, they were great except that they weren't perfect. Um, and so things like conditional comments, which um, you should be using heavily um, for kind of dealing with the, the kind of oddities of um, the IE platform, um, just didn't work in these standalone browsers. But this new version, they do, and it, it, it really seems to be very good. I haven't actually tried it, to be honest, yet, but I, I am going to be downloading it, um, and I'm going to give it a go, and I'll let you know if I come across any major problems. But if you want to check it out yourself, um, I recommend that you pop along again to bagworld.com forward slash podcast, select episode 51, and there will be a link there. Um, obviously, it's built at the moment for release candidate one, which is the most recent release of IE7, but it will certainly make testing on IE7 much, much easier. So there you go. That's my news. But obviously, Marcus, you have something special to share. <laughs> I, I do. Well, I read this this morning and it made me giggle. And I thought, well, it's kind of Internet related. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the, this is the headline. Boy, aged three, buys car on eBay. Which really made me laugh. A three-year-old boy has used his mother's computer to buy a £9,000 car on an internet auction site. Jack Neal's parents only discovered their son's successful bid when they received a message from eBay about the Barbie pink Nissan Figaro. (laughs) Rachel Neal, 36, said her son was quite good at using the computer. I bet. Yeah, I don't think my three-year-old could have done that. So yeah, it just goes on. The, he clicked on the buy now button, but I think it takes a bit more than that usually, doesn't it? Well, I don't know, but I mean that's pretty impressive. They must have been logged in still. Yeah, uh, who knows? But anyway, that's it. Just, Basically, uh, I think that they're, they're using this as a cover because they must have had the page already open. I don't believe the child managed to navigate to eBay, find yeah. the right page, and click on the button to buy it. They must have already been looking at the Barbie pink car already, <laughs> and he just clicked on that one extra button. Yeah, well, he could be a genius child. You never know. Wow. <laughs> well, well, the it, thing that amused me the most, though, or not amused me, the thing that made me kind of raise my eyebrows, they, they basically rang up this car dealership and explained the situation, and it was all ha very amusing, uh, and they let it go kind of thing. But the guy, the guy that owned the car dealership, said it's the first time the car dealership has sold a car on the internet. <laughs> and it's like, well, mm, that says a lot about eBay, doesn't it? But anyway, I never buy anything on eBay anymore. Every time I've ever purchased on eBay, I've either had to complain to eBay about the the, the person that I'm buying from because they haven't delivered, or I've just never received the goods full stop. So yeah, well there you go. 
But I seem to be particularly unlucky because most people seem to have very pleasant experiences on eBay. You ever bought off eBay? Not a thing. No. Mm. Not not once, no. Well, there you go. I also noticed this morning, still on the subject of news, um, well, I didn't notice, one of our colleagues did, that there was an an article on the BBC website about uh, the new .mobi uh, domains that are coming out. I'm being spammed heavily on it at the moment by all the ISPs in this country. Um, so we were talking about uh, the mobile web a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? It yeah. Seems to, it seems to be coming more and more mainstream. It looks like it is going to go with a bang. Well, I don't know. I, it's quite an interesting one that, because, as I understand it, this is the first domain name that's been released that has certain standards associated with it. Yeah. So if you have a .mobi domain name, you have to um, produce valid code, and, and there has to be valid code within the, um, you know, associated with that domain. Otherwise, I think in theory you can lose the domain. Although quite how that would work, I'm not quite sure. But there mm. you go. That's the news. Then that wraps that up. Bugrat.com. Okay, so moving on. Thank you very much, all of you that have taken the time to send me audio questions. It works. See, you moan and uh, you, you moan know, and you moaning. bitch, and everybody <laughs> finally gives in. Um, so I've actually got a little kind of backlog of them at the moment, um, but that's no excuse to stop sending them in. Please keep sending in your questions. Um, you can either send them as MP3 files, or alternatively, you can go to audio.com forward slash send me a message forward slash Boag World. Um, so yes, keep them coming in. But I do have a little backlog at the moment, and I am working through them as fast as we can. So today's question um, is going to come from Ross, and his question is about search engine optimization. Hey, Paul and Marcus, this is Ross. Uh from your friends over here in the USA. Uh, I love the show and I listen to it every Monday when I can. Uh, I have a question about your opinion of uh, search engine optimization. Over at MesoBlue, there's a post recently where Dave talked about his dislike for the uh, SEO profession. I've also noticed that many purist web designers also look at SEO as sleazy, kind of like, you know, companies just trying to trick their way to the top. Um, and they often state, oh, hey, if you just create good content, people will link to you and search engines will find you naturally. And uh, while that no doubt works for huge information hubs like SitePoint, it doesn't really help out the smaller companies um, who you know, aren't going to have 200 pages worth of content on you know, plumbing supplies or whatever. Um, so do you think it's sleazy and unethic- unethical to do SEO techniques to these sort of pages in the effort of becoming visible? Uh, thanks for all your great work on the podcast. I uh, learn a lot from it and uh, enjoy it very much. And while I'm on here, I'd like to do a shameless plug for my friend's podcast, uh, WebAx. It's an accessibility podcast. You can check that out at uh, webax.blogspot.com. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Ross, for that question. He did the right thing and praised the podcast. As we've said before, if you want to get on the show... Flattery will get you everywhere. Took a bit of a risk, though, with his mate, though, didn't he? Don't you think? Well, he did, <laughs> except for the fact that I know his mate. <laughs> and um, I actually quite like his podcast. Um, you may not have picked up the, the um, name of the show because it, he has a terrible American accent and was having trouble pronouncing it properly. Um, so what he was trying to say is Web Axe, A-X-E. Not X or whatever it was he said. So uh, WebAx is a podcast that focuses on um, accessibility and is a very informative show and is definitely worth checking out. So please take the time to do that. 
I suppose we ought to answer the question, really, in preference to just um, reinforce his um, horrendous plug. <laughs> I think there's a very fine line when it comes to search engine optimization. Um, I think that optimizing for your search engine is fine, but tricking your search engine or search engines is not fine. And I, I, I think that's where I place the, the distinction. So on that basis, search engine optimization is okay. Because, um, you know, it's about just making your website more accessible to search engines. And I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, it's true that making your site accessible, full stop, usable, full of content is often enough to keep search engines happy. After all, what are search engines trying to do? They're trying to provide the best content um, and the best, you know, websites most to relevant their users. Content. Most relevant, yeah. So the kind of result of that is that, you know, if you do, if you design your site well, if it's got relevant and up-to-date content, all the rest of it is going to appear well on search engines. So you, you, in some sense, you've got the same goal. You're wanting to please your users, so's, so's the search engine. But there's nothing wrong with kind of tweaking um, your, your website to make it just that a little bit more friendly um, to search engines. And often those tweaks... Are be as beneficial to your users as they are. <coughs> oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> you need a cough button, Marcus. <laughs> I do, yeah. I need a mute button, don't I? I haven't yeah. got one. Have you not got... I've got one actually on my um, headset. Oh, Halfway down. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, if you suddenly ask me a question and it means I'm, and nothing comes back, it means I'm mid-mute. Ah. I'll probably just leave it on and nod off. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so oh. I stopped your mid-flow there. Yeah, something about tweaking anyway. Um... The problem is that when that tweaking turns into tricking the search engine instead. Um, and also the other line that you have to be very careful of, I think, when it comes to search engine optimization is that your tweaking and, and adjusting of your website to search search engines, to suit search engines, um, where that begins to affect usability. And I can give you an example of this um, that we're facing at the moment, that we have a client that has brought in a um, separate search engine optimization company um, to analyze the site and find out its strengths and weaknesses. We develop the site on an ongoing basis. That, um, so really, we're kind of too close to it to, to give independent advice. And they've come back and they've actually written a superb document that kind of, I, I agree with 99% of what they've written, and it's very, very good. But the one thing that they've said in that document is that um, the main navigation um, should be changed to include um, at the end of each of the titles uh, certain keywords that they're looking at. Um, now, I, I don't want to kind of say too specifically what it is because I don't want to give you know give the client away and you know there's confidentiality issues there. But suffice it to say, it would then be a nightmare from a usability point of view because users wouldn't be able to quickly and easily scan through the navigation because it would be stuffed with keywords. So in my opinion, that's kind of a step too far, and that's overly catering for the search engines at the expense of actual usability. So yes, that's my opinion. I hope that um, answers your question, Ross. And um, keep them coming in. We like getting questions. Okay, so after just saying that search engine optimization can be unethical if done wrong, we're now going to move on to our main feature where we're going to talk about 
search engine optimization and how to do it. But of how course, to, how to trick Google? No, um, no, no, no. We are going to do it ethically and nicely. <laughs> We're the fluffy bunnies of search engine optimization. <laughs> of it has got a really bad name, though, hasn't it? Search oh, engine yeah. optimization. But then it is, it, you know, for years it's been about kind of how to trick search engines. But I, I think like everything in web design, you know, uh, JavaScript had a bad reputation, Flash had a bad reputation, and all mm, of these true. things, you know, everything moves on when we're maturing the whole time. Hell, you know, web design had a bad reputation. We used to be the kind of double glazing salesman of the web didn't we for a, for a long time so mm, yeah. you know I think things have matured and, and, and I mean there are still cowboys out there but they're, they're fewer and far between which is good so today we're going to we're going to look in particular at how to improve your rankings on Google. Um, and we've kind of covered search engine optimization a little bit before, right back in episode six, I think it was. Um, but it was a very kind of broad, woolly introduction to the subject. And we want to get into a little bit more depth. And so I've decided to focus in particular on Google. Now, the reason for that is Google accounts for something like 49% of all searches that go on on the web. Um, so it's worth particular attention. Um, and But the, the things we're going to talk of, a lot of them actually appear, uh, apply fairly universally to most search engines. So it's a kind of still fairly general, but we are going to get more into the specifics of it all. The one thing that you should know about Google from the outset is that it's probably got one of the most complex algorithms out there. Um, for calculating how it, it ranks websites. So basically there's this huge kind of complicated set of rules that sit behind um, Google that, that control how your site is ranked. Um, and nobody really knows the exact nature of those rules. But a rough breakdown goes something like this. So it takes into account things like the age of your domain, how long your domain's been up there, the amount of content available to the search engine, how much it's actually finding on your website, the amount of websites that link to you um, and the, the popularity of those sites, um, the internal link structure and architecture of your website, and the kind of quality of the page builds and the uh, build and the relevancy to the end user. So all of these things are kind of mashed together, although it's a heck of a lot more complicated than just that. Um, all of that is mashed together and um, that out of that comes your ranking. Hmm. But Google, so Google has something called page ranking, which is kind of a boiled down, nice, simple version of all of that, that algorithm. Um, and it's a, a rough indication of your visibility on, on the search engine. Um, now, I think that goes from a scale of 0 to 9, or it might be 0 to 10, I'm not sure which. And obviously, the higher number, the higher ranked you are. So, for example, last time I looked, Boag World came out at 6 in its ranking, um, and the Headscape website was 7. And that's largely due to the fact that a lot more people link back to the Headscape website, because every website we design, we put designed by Headscape at the bottom of it. Um, so, you know, we've got those two sites have got reasonable rankings. But that's really that's, in, that's interesting gone. actually. I was going to say, I would have thought Bag World would have a higher rank because of the regularity of the content mm. update on it. I but, mean, I, I must admit I haven't looked for a while, so that might be the case now. But um for I think that kind of gives you an idea of the fact that all of these different factors aren't weighted equally and I think mm. kind of the quality of people linking into you is a, is a bit still a big factor within Google. 
So if you want to kind of get an idea of what the page ranking is for your own website, then, then one of the ways you can do it is get hold of the Google toolbar. And that's available from toolbar.google.com. And that will actually show the page ranking of any particular site you're currently viewing. Um, if you don't like to install uh, the Google toolbar, then um, there are Firefox extensions that show you it as well. But um, page ranking is only kind of a part, you know, a, a glimpse into how well you're ranked on a site. And another thing that, that is worth your attention is something called page indexing. Um, and that's how much of your site Google has actually managed to successfully look at. So basically what Google does is it sends out little robots or spiders or whatever, however you want to word it, little programs that basically scour your website and they read all the content on your website. And they also take a copy of your website um, and all its pages. Um, and how much of that your site it's managed to successfully look at um, will significantly affect how you're ranked. So to, to get an idea of how well you're doing from that front and how much of your site has been successfully um, spidered, um, go along to google.com. I'm going to do it as try it out myself on Boag World so I can give you an idea. Go along to google.com and then type in site colon and then your domain name. So in, in our case, www.boagworld.com. And then do a search. And what that will return is all of the pages that... Um, well, it won't return all of the pages on your site. What it will do is it will return um, a kind of... What am I trying to say? It will return the pages that it considers has meaning and value. So a lot of the content will be repeated, if that makes uh, sense. Right, right. Right? Um, so it, right at the bottom, it'll say... Um, in order to show you the most relevant results, we have omitted some entries very similar to the, the, the number that are already displayed. If you would mm. like, you can repeat the search with the omitted results included. And then it will show you absolutely everything relating to that domain. All right? Every page that's been spidered. So, for example, um, it ha Google has successfully spidered 581 pages on Boag World. Okay. So that, that's useful because if you know that you've got 10,000 pages on your site but only 500 have been spidered, you know that you're actually, you know, that, that you, you're, you're not going to rank as high on the search engine because there is a problem there and there mm. is something that's, that's creating an issue. Um, but a lot of pages on Berg World, isn't it? Blimey, you've been busy. Yeah, well, you know. 265 on Headscape. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, that probably sounds right. Um, but just because Google returns a lot of pages doesn't mean that they will all be um, listed. So as I said, some pages are considered more important than others, and that's why, actually, if you type in the site colon com, only three are returned, which is a bit disturbing, really, and I probably need <laughs> to do some work on that. So um, I need to look at that. I haven't done that search in a while. That's really weird. I'll need to have a better look so there we go how embarrassing yes let's move on um the other thing that i wanted to say about the world of search engine optimization is that it is a slow business um and don't you kind of need to be very patient so for example google can take up to four months to index your site fully so it takes time for it to kind of find everything on your site and work your way through it um if you're a new domain it can take as much as nine months to be fully 
um, uh, listed on Google. So you can't hurry it and you need to take your time over it. There's also something called Google sandboxing, which is an interesting phenomena where, yeah, where basically it, it's Google isn't confident enough to <laughs> fully list you. So even though it's spidered your site, um, it, it's not confident that you're not, um, that it's, that it's kind of got a longevity to be included in the proper listings. So it holds you back for a period of time before it displays you. Now, what's a, why, they can't do that. Yes, they can. They can do what they want. <laughs> but that's... I, I, why, or, yes, of course they can do what they want, but how do they make that decision? Well, <laughs> Google... they don't... This is the thing, is that Google is very... They're very closed about what they do and how they do it, because obviously otherwise it's open for abuse. And so they won't even confirm that this actually happens. And so there's quite a lot of debate in the search engine co uh, community about whether it is happening, to what extent it's happening, how it's controlled, you know, how long it is before you reappear. But it's certainly, I've certainly seen situations where, you know, you, you register a new site with, I don't know, MSN, Google and Yahoo, and you're getting results back from MSN and Yahoo very, very quickly, while you just don't appear on Google for ages, despite the fact that you can look at your log files and see the fact that, that Google Spider mm. um, has hit your site regularly and, and probably more than any of the other search engines. So something is going on there. Um, but exactly what we don't really know. So the kind of moral of the story is that you basically have to sit and wait. <laughs> it's a, yeah. a long process and it does take time. So what does the Google Spider, this little program that goes out and looks at your website, what does it actually look at? Well, obviously it looks at the content of your website and purely the content of the website. It doesn't, con it doesn't look in any way at the imagery or layout of your website. So it can make no judgments whatsoever about um, the importance of any particular piece of content based on how it visually appears on the page. So just because you have a, say, a title in massive text across the middle of the page with big arrows pointing at it saying this is the most important thing, Google will not know that unless it's marked up correctly as a H1 tag, for example. So what Google will look at is it will look at elements like the title tag on your page, which is what appears in the, uh, in the, the right at the top of your browser window. It will look at the body copy, what's actually written in the page. It will look at the meta tags in your page. Meta tags do still matter, but not to a huge extent, but to a limited extent. So by that, I'm talking about the hidden information in your page. But I'm not talking about just the metadata that goes in the head of your page, like um, your um, keywords and your description. I'm also think talking about things like title tags, um, uh, site t um, attributes, um, alt attributes, all that kind of stuff, all right? Hmm. Um, it also looks at headings, so H1s, H2s, H3s, etc. Um, and that it also will look at your navigation and the structure and organization of the site. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, actually, when you mentioned that earlier, about link structure and architecture. Uh, what's it looking for, then? How, you know, what's a good structure and what's a bad structure, I suppose? <sighs> Again, not entirely known. <laughs> Um, but from what I've read and, and from what I've looked at, it, it's looking at the, the URL itself, 
okay mm -hmm. so actually the content of your web addresses do matter so um, for example something that um, a lot of content management systems suffer from is that they just include a load of parameters don't they mm -hmm. um, well actually a search engine won't probably look past the question mark or you know and, and certainly it doesn't you know there's nothing readable in there so that's why for example on the headscape site um, things have been rewritten a little bit to make those URLs slightly more friendly. But even those, to be honest, aren't particularly friendly. And that's why something like the Boag World site is even better, where you actually get the, the title of the article you're reading included in the mm. URL. So it looks at the physical URL itself. It looks at, and it also looks at the text associated with that link. Okay? Um, which is why it's quite important... Uh, or added more important should I say to um, not put things like click here or more because mm. actually that doesn't benefit your search engines now there's good usability and accessibility reasons not to do that as well but from a search engine point of view it's extra important because it will actually look at that text and judge that text um, it will also look at things like the title attribute associated with that uh, with that tag um, and I'm sure lots of other things that I don't know about <laughs> because I'm not a search engine optimization expert okay yeah. um, thank you your questions, your questions always point out my ignorance <laughs> I'm wonderful. sure I'll think of one or two more before we finish I'm sure you will um, what these Google um, spiders Google programs don't spider don't look at they don't look at images um, except the, the alt tags or alt attributes associated with those images it kind of Google does kind of look at PDFs and does a reasonable job at um, spidering them but it, it probably doesn't do it quite as well we don't know the specifics of how um, it, it spiders uh, PDFs but it doesn't look great from, from what I can tell the same is true of Flash um, it, it can look at Flash to some degree but it, it's going to struggle and you're not doing yourself any favours embedding too much content in Flash and um, it certainly can't follow links within Flash at least I don't think it can um, and finally it's not very good with uh, multimedia content you know things like podcasts um, which is a bit distressing really because obviously we would love it if uh, Google could spider every word that we say on our podcast but unfortunately it can't so there you go that's the kind of things it spiders and it doesn't spider um, let's look at some of the th things that are actually quite important or one of the things that's very important anyway when it comes to Google and that's the subject of inbound links now we have talked about link popularity before so I'm not going to spend too long on it but basically it's fair to say that the quality um, and quantity of link people that are linking into your site does to a large degree determine your position within search engines so I mean going back to the Boag World Headscape example we used earlier you know Boag World has got a lot more content to be honest it's marked up much better you know it's got a lot going for it in many ways but that ultimately is outweighed by the fact that a lot of big institutions link to um, Headscape it certainly does now, probably, let's, let's do a little test, actually. Um, you, can you do, if you go along to google.com um, again, Marcus, and indeed anybody that wants to try it with their own websites, and if you type in link um, colon and then your domain name. So if you type in uh, Headscape, I'll type in Boag World, and we'll see, I'll do a comparison of what we get back. 
Yep, I've already done it. Okay, um, so on Biagra, we've got 362 inbound links into the site. How many have you got? 5,720. So there you go. All right? So that kind of shows the difference. So basically, um, it's partly to do with quantity of people linking back to the Headscape site, but also the quality of people linking back. So, for example, you know, um, not that I'm putting down my listeners in any way whatsoever, (laughs) but a lot of the people that link back to boagor.com are people that are running personal blogs and stuff like that. Now, compare that to the people linking back to the Headscape site. The majority of those people are going to be people like the University of Brighton, the University of Portsmouth, you know, huge institutions that Google is going to value their opinion a lot more than they're going to value a personal blog. Um, so, yeah, basically links have a huge impact on um, on uh, rankings. It's interesting that they don't actually on Google, that what we see there, the 362 results returned, isn't a kind of up-to-date, real-time count of how many links are being returned. And actually, there there are a lot more there. Um, and probably, uh, they reckon that the count is out by about four months. It's probably about four months old what it's returning to you. Oh, and right. in some ways, I think Google are doing that in order to disguise the fact that... Um, If you gave a real-time link, it would be much easier to kind of adjust, uh, to to manipulate it. So they give an out-of-date one, you know, so that it's not as easy to manipulate. And I think that's an indication of how important linking still is on Google, that they do these kind of tactics to to kind of um, stop people cheating with that particular one. Okay, um, another piece of advice I'd give when it comes to search engine optimization, we talked about you know, doing site colon um, your domain. We've looked at doing link colon your domain. We've looked at looking at the page ranking. Uh, as well as doing that for your own site, I would highly recommend that you do it for your competition, that um, you establish the number of pages that have been indexed on your competition sites. You look at the number of inbound links um, that have been, um, you know, uh, exist on competition sites do you uh, have a do a bit of an assessment of the content of um, your competition and what keywords they seem to be focusing on because it's a very good way of improving your own search engine positioning is to look at your competition and basically make sure that you're at least matching them if not um, passing them in what they're doing okay so there's some kind of general background stuff let's um let's look at some basic good practice and I've got a list a big list here of of, um, good practice that I'm going to whip through um, and hopefully this will help you improve your ranking on your site so number one identify a list of keywords that you wish to target you need to be specific about the keywords you go for so for example um, you know there would be little point for me with Boag World going for the keyword web design there is so much competition on the word web design that it really wouldn't be worth my time to do. However, um, it is worth me um, being more specific and going for the word web design podcast. In actual fact, you'll find out that I come number one in that position. (laughs) Followed closely by the practical web design podcast that I do, which uh, which is very satisfying as well. In fact, I also take up number three, number four. We've got the message. So, yes, I'm doing well on that particular <laughs> keyword. So you get the idea. Be, by being f- more focused on your key phrase, you're likely to be more successful. 
So establish a list of keywords that you want to target, but don't go mad. Don't go for hundreds and hundreds of keywords because you're going to basically dilute, dilute, is that a word? Dilute. Dilute your success on those keywords. You're better off going for a few and doing them well. See, I never knew whether that really was true or not, but uh, I guess uh, I guess I do now. Well, yeah, I'm presuming you can believe me. I mean, yeah, I believe you, Paul. Every word you say. I'm happy to admit I'm not a search engine expert, but I did a bit of reading up before this podcast. So um, what what I've what I'm telling you here is not my own bright ideas, but a lot of it is stuff that I've read elsewhere, which may or may not be true. <laughs> you know, I'm relying on other people as much as the people listening to this are relying on me. So. Um, but that that certainly I've read that in a number of sources, so it, it seems to be good practice. You do know you come twenty nine on Google dot com on web podcast. Do I? How yeah. interesting! You can see how much fun I'm having. Yeah. This is actually an interesting. Uh, well, I, for me, it's an interesting subject, um, more so than quite a lot of the more technical stuff we do. Why is that? Why are you interested in this one in particular? Um, it's something that's not. Um, uh, it's not about coding or technical stuff or even though I'm I'm kind of interested in, in design, I'm not a trained designer. This is stuff that anyone who owns a website and or anyone that designs a website is interested in. Yeah. It's sort of like a, there's always been this assumption that you can... Uh, I don't know. Become hugely successful very quickly by uh, if you get your you know your website you know you you suddenly got this worldwide audience. Um, it's obviously it never quite works like that, but um, it that's it fascinates people the, the possibilities of being able to get to the top of search engine lists. I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, you you are delirious and waffling now. Yeah, I enjoy that. No, I'm just, <laughs> now I'm going to see if I can find you just under the term podcast. Okay, wake me up in a minute. Yeah, that'll take a while. I'll be fairly <laughs> low down on that list. Okay, um, so another another thing that's worth doing, as we've already said, is create friendly keyword-heavy URLs. Um, so we've kind of covered that, so I don't need to mention that again. Also, another one that I've kind of learned about relatively recently, actually, is... Um, I tell you, Right, let me explain. So... Normally, when I design an HTML page, I create um, a nice, you know, logical um, hierarchy of my H1s, H2s, H3s, so my titles in my page. So H1, I always associate um, with the title of the website as a whole, and then I, you know, turn that into a logo or whatever. But I've recently come to realize that actually what I'm better off doing from a search engine optimization point of view is to redo, instead of having the H1 as being the title of the site, to have the H1 as being the title of the specific page that I'm on, because um, that's going to help from a you know search engine optimization point of view, because it tells Google that you know the most important thing on this particular page is the, the page title. Does that make sense? Yes, okay. totally. What do you call the site? How do you tag the site name then? I don't know. Let's call it Fred. Fine. Okay. So that's I good. like that. No, I mean you can you you could you could wrap it in a div or something else instead. I mean there there are other solutions. You know that's up to individual people how they choose to do that. Okay. Um. I think I know this sounds like a dumb comment, but make sure that all pages have some content on them <laughs> well you joke but it, it's you know I, I take for example a, a recent university website that shall remain nameless that we launched um some of the pages on that site are literally just pages of links 
and they have basically long lists of links with no actual real content. And I think it's really important to make sure that you know uh, each page has at least at least fifty words of you know real feasible content on it, um, because you know it gives the search engine something to seriously latch onto. Now, okay, a list in theory is content, um, but it you know it's not. You need more than that, I think, is what I'm saying. Um, try and include keywords in your navigation, but not, as we discussed earlier, at the cost of usability. Right, the, um, beginning with Ross's question, I mentioned, uh, mentioned a uh, recent example where actually the navigation became impossible to read because it was stuffed with keywords. Well, don't go that far, but if you can include keywords in your navigation, that's good. Certainly include keywords in the title tag you associate with each navigational item. Wherever possible, use breadcrumbs. Um, breadcrumbs are, uh, not only are can be rich in keywords, which is a good thing, but they can also um, allow the search engine uh, to navigate the site much easier and find its way around. So they're good from that point of view. Also, they help users as well, which is a bonus. A lot of these things help users as well. There's also something called keyword density that's worth paying attention to. Now, keyword density is basically the principle that if you've got 100 words and five of those words um, are the word podcast, then on the word podcast you have a 5% keyword density. That makes sense, doesn't it, Marcus? Yep. Even I can follow that. That's good. So, <laughs> um, so what you're looking for is to get a reasonably high level of um, those your keywords into that content, but be careful. Don't go mad. One because the text will become illegible because <laughs> um, yeah. it's going to be so stuffed with keywords. And two, search engines are clever and they do pick up when you're kind of artificially doing it. And actually, the five percent figure that I mentioned a minute ago is actually a reasonable figure to go for. Anything higher than that, and it begins to get a little bit silly. Um, anything lower than that, and you know, it's not. It's just you know, you're not going to get ranked very high. So hmm. just keep a, an eye on keyword density. I'm sure if you go into Google, I haven't done it, but if you type in uh, keyword density, you will come up with various tools. Um, yes, first one, keyword density analyzing tool that allows you to check out what the keyword density is on any particular page, which is perfect. Um, so there you go. That's quite an important thing to, to pay attention to. The next one, I'm literally going to read it and I'm going to move on because I know everybody's sick of me saying this. Use web standards. It will help your, um, your search engine position. Poignant pause to let people take in that information. <laughs> now let's move on. So what are web standards, Paul? Ah! <laughs> I'm happy to explain that to you offline, Marcus. <laughs> so setting aside Marcus's ignorance about web standards, let's move on <laughs> to the subject of unobtrusive JavaScript. There's a bit of a problem with JavaScript when it comes to search engines. that They, generally speaking, ignore JavaScript, that they're interested in the content of your page, not in the behavior and functionality of your page. So um, if... Uh, for example, you use JavaScript for links or navigation or stuff like that. A search engine will not follow those links. They, it, it can't because it's embedded within the JavaScript. Equally, content that's delivered using JavaScript will not be seen by search engines. 
Um, so the kind of message here is is twofold. Firstly, um, make sure that your JavaScript degrades nicely. In other words, um, which is good practice anyway, um, if, so, if somebody or something cannot support JavaScript like a search engine, that the site is still navigable and all of the content is still accessible without it. But secondly, I think sometimes JavaScript just kind of gets in the way of a search engine understanding the content, for want of a better mm. way of wording it. And so just make sure your JavaScript is unobtrusive. So don't have lots of JavaScript code riddled through your HTML, but kind of separate it off into an include file. Um, I think that's about all there is to say on the JavaScript front. Another one that I've come across recently, which is a new one to me, is that Google appears to be able, uh, be getting slightly confused between domain names sometimes. So, for example, some people link to the Boag World site by going boagworld.com. Others mm. link to it by going www.boagworld.com. Still, other people link by going www.boagworld.com forward slash index.html. And all of this can cause confusion, especially the first two, the, um, the boagworld.com and the www.boagworld.com. Um, and uh, the search engine can actually mistake your site for being two separate sites. And so your page ranking for any individual page or for the site as a whole is kind of di diluted by 50%, if that makes sense. Hmm. So the way you can get around this, apparently, although I, I only discovered all of this when I was researching for this podcast, is to use a, a 301 redirect um, to solve the problem. Now, stop banging your mic, Mike. Mike Sorry. Michael? Who are you? Mike, Michael. Yeah, okay. So, yes. Um, now, I don't know a lot about 301 redirects because I'm not a particularly techie person, but I'm sure a quick search on Google can uh, provide you with more information about how to achieve that. So I just thought I'd mention that one because it was one that I wasn't aware of and, and it's quite an interesting one. Hmm. As far as meta information is concerned, so things like description and keywords and stuff like that, a lot of website owners, in my experience, are lazy. Um, and I can kind of understand it that they create one set of meta tags and description for their entire site and they put it in every page. But to be honest, to make the most out of those meta tags, really that description and set of keywords should be unique for each page on your site. So it's worth taking the time to do that because it will help your ranking. Another thing on my list is don't rely on forms for linking. <laughs> so um, let me give you an example. Right, let's say the Boag World site, I keep using that as an example because it's probably one that you've encountered before. Um, let's say the only way of navigating to an article was via searching for it. Now, not only would be that that be rubbish from a usability point of view, um, it's also bad from a search engine optimization point of view because um, a search engine will not trigger a search event. It won't know what keywords to enter, etc. Mm. So if that's the only way your content is accessible via a, via a form, then you've got a problem and you need to um, avoid that. Uh, another tip that I read that um, is kind of common sense really but worth doing is cross-link your pages with one another. Um, and 
for for a number of reasons. One, it helps um, Google to spider your site easier. But secondly, um, it helps Google understand what the page is about because it can look at the URL again and it can look at the description that you've given that URL when you've linked to it. So all of that helps for it to better understand what the site is about. So uh, kind of the result of that is be consistent in the way that you link to pages. So if you're linking to your About Us page or your Contact Us page or whatever, make sure you always link to that page using the same words wherever possible. Um, now, uh, that doesn't always work because sometimes you link as part of a sentence or whatever else. But if possible, always link um, using consistent terminology because that will help the ranking on that terminology. Hmm. Fairly obvious too to finish up with. Firstly, all images should have alt attributes associated with them. Please make sure you've got your alt tags um, uh, on every image, otherwise they mean nothing to a search engine. And finally, create a, a site map of your entire site because it will make it so much quicker for Google and the alike to um, spider and find its way around your site. And maybe get to content that can only be um, accessed via that way as well. Just going back to forms, not relying on them. Yeah. So if you had some content that um, I don't know, you weren't, you couldn't download the document until you'd filled in various forms or whatever. Um, does that mean that the search engine can't see that particular page? Exactly. Mm, right. What's well, another reason not to do that, Mister Marketeer? Yes. And also, um, a, you know, anything behind a password protection or a login is not going to be spidered either. So there you go. Mm. That sums up our little whistletop tour of improving your rankings on Google. I hope you found it useful. And let's move on. Okay, so let's do a review. We haven't done a review in a while. And as I said right at the beginning, I've got sent a freebie. And so I feel obliged to review it. How happy they'll be with the review, I'm not quite so sure. <laughs> but um, I will review it nonetheless. It yet is, another CSS book. It is yet another <laughs> CSS book. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting one. Um, it's called CSS The Missing Manual, the book that should have been in the box. I'm not what, sure what bo box that is exactly. <laughs> um, but whatever box it is, it should have been in it. And it's uh, by David McFarland. And um, it's a pretty interesting book. It's good. It is a good book. Um, it's been recently sent over to me. I haven't read it from cover to cover. I've kind of skimmed through it. And I think really that's the type of book it is. Um, I don't think it is the kind of book you read from cover to cover. Let's talk about the positives first. Well, first of all, um, it looks very thorough. Um, they really go through everything from the basics, you know, of introduction to CSS right the way through to things like advanced selectors and even some bits of JavaScript and stuff like that. Um, so I guess if you're, um, you know, you're wanting to go from kind of absolute basics to advanced, so if you're looking at um, in, uh, adopting kind of CSS for layout and you want to go all the way through and get completely up to speed, and you only want to buy one book, then this might be a good book to buy. However, it's kind of... It looks a bit scary. <laughs> I don't know. That's probably not the best way... A picture of a monster on the cover. Uh, yes. No, it hasn't. It's got a picture of a genie on the cover. I'm not quite sure why. Right. They always have really bad covers, um, IT books. Um, yeah, it's kind of a bit scary because it's big. It's a big, thick, chunky book. Uh, for example, it's probably about 
twi- nearly twice as thick as um, Andy Budd's book, uh, CSS Mastery. Um, and it's kind of got the feel of a... Tra- <laughs> what the hell's that? Nothing. Carry on. Oh, Marcus, <laughs> if it isn't coughing and sneezing, it's your mobile phone. Um, it's kind of got the feel of a traditional type of manual, I guess, in preference to um, some of the other books uh, about. It's not one you would read from cover to cover. So I kind of I'm comparing it to Andy Budd's um, you know, CSS Mastery simply because that's the last CSS book I read, and that's the kind of book you can sit down and read from cover to cover, um, and you know it, it it kind of covers a lot of the stuff you want. But Andy's book is not probably as comprehensive um, as David Farland's book, simply because it doesn't take into account, you know, absolute beginners. Um, it's also not designed particularly well as well. The type looks a bit crowded and the graphics are a bit kind of, or everything seems a bit jammed in, I think, because they didn't want it to get even bigger than it already is. Um, however, it's extremely cons- comprehensive, covers everything from the ground up and would be, as I said, great for people starting out um, with web standards. Also, I imagine it would be great to dip into, um, you know, just if you've got a specific issue on a cover or, a, a, you know, something you want to look up. However, you do get the vague feeling that you might be missing some gem if you do that um, because you haven't kind of read it thoroughly. I mean, there are some real good different bits and pieces in here and I kind of I did skim read it through a little bit and I did spot one or two things I thought oh I didn't know that and I was thinking if you just dipped into this book perhaps you'd miss some of that so I think it is a good book but it yeah I don't know presentation by the sound of it is is the problem yeah I think it probably is I think and I don't think that's a reflection on uh, the author but perhaps on the the publishing house that don't kind of make it look as pretty and accessible as perhaps some of the stuff from Friends of Ed, which I do particularly like. But I think it's slightly different audience. I think this is aimed more at a techie audience, um, that, uh, you know, rather than a design audience. And and it kind of the look of the book reflects that. And I might be being biased simply because I'm a designer and not a techie. So a bit of a mixed review there. I can't always just say good things on the show, especially when they send me freebies. Otherwise, uh, my integrity would be ruined. <laughs> what integrity? All right, don't get <laughs> cheeky. Okay, so that about wraps it up for this show. Just to say thank you to our sponsors, uh, Podvine, uh, who are the web design network podcast network we are a part of at www.podvine.com. If you want to advertise on, your pod, uh, on this podcast, or any of the others in the network, then please check that out. Um, Headscape, obviously the web design company to work for, that produce the best web design in the world ever. ever. Yeah. And also rightcart.com. Just a quick thing on Rightcart. I've realised uh, over the last few weeks that I've been advertising rightcart.com. That is correct. That is the name of the site. But if you go to rightcart.com, then uh, we at Boag will get no credit for it whatsoever. <laughs> Duh! How <laughs> stupid am I? So if I can ask you to go to rightcart.com forward slash podvine, uh, because if you put the uh, forward slash podvine, then we can track you and we know all about you and hmm. what you had for breakfast. So there's our sponsors. Just to wrap up then, um, I promise that the forum is coming soon. I'm working on it. I thank you for all of you that have taken the time to write in, shouting at me about it and saying, we want the forum. I am working on it hard. 
Marcus, do you have a joke for us? I do. This is really my kind of level of joke, so take this one on board. If you can find anything else like this, it's uh, what my kids call a dad joke, and it's thanks to Ian. Um, it's uh, A farmer is wondering how many sheep he has in his field, so he asks his sheepdog to count them. Dog runs into the field, counts them, and then runs back to his master. So, says the farmer, how many sheep were there? Forty, replies the dog. That's odd, exclaims the farmer. I can only count thirty-eight. I know, says the dog, but I rounded them up. So why did he send the dog in to count them if he'd counted them himself? Well, he obviously couldn't uh, stop it. (laughs) That's a terrible joke. I liked it. Made me giggle. So there. Okay. So next week's show... Talking dogs, that's all it is. Talking dogs. Probably what I liked about it. Talking dogs. Yes, I didn't seem to pick up on that. I picked up on the fact that the the farmer was asking him to count for no reason, but didn't realise the dog was talking. (laughs) Ah, dear. Time to stop. Let me go. Yes. I need Um, to lie down. Next week's show is going to be an interview with Dustin Diaz on the subject of JavaScript libraries. Warning, advanced warning, this does contain techie content. I couldn't persuade Dustin to speak in English. Um, But nonetheless, it is an excellent interview. And if you are a developer or a designer, I recommend that you um, listen to that. You will enjoy it. Um, As I said earlier in the show, please, please send me uh, MP3 files. I love receiving them. Um, You could even... Hey, I've got an idea. You could even send in your own joke. And you could tell your own joke. How about that? That's a great idea. I think that's a good one. Let's do that. Marcus will obviously censor them, so no <laughs> rude jokes. Um, if you don't have uh, don't know how to save an MP3 file, then go over to audio.com forward slash send me a message forward slash Boagworld, and you can record one there as long as you have a mic and the Flash plugin. Um, send your comments, questions, and suggestions for the show to paul at bagworld.com. Don't forget to check out the show notes at bagworld.com forward slash podcast episode 51. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye.